We've been in Philippians this last four or five weeks, and last week we jumped into Philippians 3, and just an incredible book. Not only, I, I love the Bible, not, it just teaches us so much about the character of God and who He is, and then you look into this huge big mirror, and it reveals who you are as well, and Paul was doing that with the Philippian church. He was encouraging them and, and challenging them and saying, hey, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. You're going you're gonna to tend to want to gravitate towards the things of, of what's going on in Philippi, the pagan city. But man, keep your eyes fixed on Christ because your witness will be so great. Remember, he came out of the gates last week in Philippians 3 uh, talking about that, that righteousness cannot be found in anything else but Christ alone. And he shared his laundry list of reasons why the, the Pharisees and the religious people, the Judaizers, would have thought for him to be a, a righteous man. He shared where he was from. He thought his affiliations mattered. I'm a part of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? My mom and dad were, I'm a purebred. I'm a Pharisee. Uh, I, I was a guy that knew the law frontwards and backwards. If anybody was in right standing with God, Paul would say to the Philippian church, it was me. And then he says, I had a radical transformation, I came to Christ, and the thing that I realized is it's all rubbish, that none of that matters, that none of the things I was trying to do, my works, my affiliations, didn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is Christ. And we see Paul share this powerful testimony of, man, I want to I know Christ. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. I want to know Christ and participate in his sufferings, and he wanted the Philippian church to be at that same, at that same place. Paul in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 16, uh, are some passages in Scripture that many of you have heard, probably taught many different ways. But Paul, throughout Scripture, uses some metaphors and analogies that has to do with running. So he has a little bit of sports in his background. This community Love sports. Centerville loves sports. You can't drive by a park on a nice day or any school where it's just constant sports, sports, sports from when they can't even walk. We're like, throw them out there. Let's see if they can figure it out, right? We love sports. I grew up in a family that loves sports. Brothers and, and cousins, and the list goes on. Of It was base, football, basketball, and then baseball, and sports just ruled the day. And there's no greater thing for me than when sports and ministry collide. And I feel like there's a little bit of that going on in Philippians 3 verse 12 through 16, as Paul makes this analogy that, hey, we are all, every single one of us, we're on a race. We're on a journey on this Christian life. And Paul, what did he run the race with? He ran it with great enthusiasm, didn't he? He ran it with great, with great passion. He, he ran it until exhaustion. He would have been the guy you wanted on your team. How many of you former athletes remember when the coach said, you better run through the line? Remember that? And if you don't run through the line, what's going to happen? We're going to do it again. Paul would have always been the guy that ran through the line, right? He ran with passion and enthusiasm. He would have been a great coach. He would have been a coach that you would have loved your, maybe your child to play for. Because he had a goal. He had something in mind that he was trying to get a group of people to chase after. And he did it with great enthusiasm and great passion. He taught the church to persevere. And it's what he was teaching this church in, in, in Philippi to persevere. Because the greatest thing you can do on this race is to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. You're going to be tempted to go left. You're going to be tempted to go right in that moment. Man, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Let's jump in. Philippians 3. I'm going to back up to verse 10 that we, st we talked in last week and then go through verse 16. It'll be up on the screen. All right? If I find my spot. I need to get a bigger print Bible, I think. I can't already see this thing. 
I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Remember that last week. Becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. I'm not there. I haven't arrived or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love stories. I love to hear testimonies of of lives that are completely changed. I love to hear underdog stories and comeback stories, whether it be in sports or with people's spiritual lives. I love to hear stories of people that persevere through some of the darkest, hardest seasons of life and come out on the other side victorious and are willing to share it with anybody and everybody. I know in this room, because I've heard many of your stories, there's some of you that have gone through medical stuff uh, throughout your, your seasons in life, and you thought when you got that news it was, it was awful because it was, and you fought through that, you persevered, you leaned into God, you trusted God through it, and, and, and with the power of prayer and the power of medicine, God saw you through to the other side, and your story is one of victory, and it's incredible. Others of you have a testimony. Your story is one that there was a sin. There was something that you found yourself. Instead of running to Christ in a tough spot, you ran to this thing. And that thing was like this nagging thing that you just kept thinking, well, let's go back to that again. It's all I know, and it's easy, and it's a quick fix. And you finally came to a place where a light bulb spiritually went on in your heart, and you said, no more. And you drew a line in the sand, and you raced towards Christ. You repented. You, you, you sought after healing in that area. And today, you're a living testimony that, that, that it can be defeated with the power of God in your life, and you're a living testimony that that sin is no longer in your life. An underdog story. A story on this race, on this journey of life, where you kept your eyes fixed on Christ, and your victory, you, you've experienced victory because of it. And just as we go through seasons in our life with our age, we see that, right? You're an infant elementary, middle school, high school years, your young adult years, your, 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 your married years, your rearing child, children years, your retirement years, whatever it may be, just as we go through seasons in life with our age, we go through seasons of our life spiritually as well. And many of you, I ask you in the e-note that three of you read, I mention that every week, I shouldn't keep ripping on that. I say it because then we'll get more people to read it if I do a little dig. Um, but I mentioned in that, hey, think of Uh, maybe moments in your spiritual journey where you came alive spiritually. And you can think of your spiritual journey, the seasons you've gone through spiritually, maybe like this, your elementary years, when you first came to Christ. Uh, You can remember where you were, maybe the providential providential relationships that were were around you at that point. Uh, Maybe it was a coach, a teacher, a grandma, a grandpa, a mom or a dad, a spouse, a sibling. And because of that relationship, because of their influence in your life, and because you realized the, the, the fullness of your sin before holy God, you came to Christ. And those were your elementary years, and you came out of the gates ready to conquer the world. To maybe your middle school years spiritually. 
to where you're traveling through life and you take a few steps back. You feel like you and God are great in a season of life. And then all of a sudden you take a few steps back. And you realize, and it's just this constant tension and battle of you chasing after Christ, but still kind of liking the things of this. And in those years, you're so thankful for God's grace, for His mercy. How many of you would say throughout your life journey, you're thankful for God's patience with you? I know I am, because I wouldn't be patient with me. And He was. To maybe your, your high school years, to where many of you in this room have been following Christ for decades. You've been following after Jesus for years and years and years, and you can point back uh, a little little timeline of all those moments where spiritually you can say, man, God was in it. God grew me through this. He, he, he showed me more of who he was through this situation. And I've, I've, I could honestly say I've matured in Christ. We have people all over the spectrum today on this race, on this journey that Paul is talking about. But one of the things that Paul talks about on this journey, no matter that we're all over the spectrum on this journey, he says one thing is for certain. And it starts with me, he says to the Philippian church, we are all a work in progress. None of us have arrived. None of us have came to a place where we're like, man, I am, I am there, right? Some of you are just starting in the race, and that's okay, and God's teaching you new things. And you're so thankful for that relationship because your life has changed. There's others that have been on the race for a long, long time, but you're on the sidelines watching everybody else on the race, you know? And then there's those in the room that, let's be honest, maybe you haven't started. Maybe you haven't started the race. And Paul says, wherever you are on that spectrum, see Christ. Seek Him first. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Keep your eyes fixed on what He has for you. What's he say in verse 12? He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived, at my goal. It's a huge statement from Paul. Paul's saying, I'm not there yet. There's still more things that God has to teach me. There's still more things I need to learn. There's still more things. God's got his little chisel and hammer that he's chipping away at me because it's ugly and he doesn't like it and he wants me to transform and grow in that area. That I have not arrived when it comes to attaining this goal, this prize. Paul's saying, I'm not perfect. While the Judaizers and the people that you see, the religious folk that you see around you are saying, hey, we're, we can be perfect by what we do, uh, Paul's saying, not me. All that stuff's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And maybe some of you in here today grew up in a church or a family like that. A family that said, hey, you could be perfect in this life. Or maybe you grew up in a church where it was like people, this is even worse, people pretended to be perfect in this life. And everybody had a mask on. Everybody was just putting their best foot forward of, of presenting the, the me I want to be to the world, but it was not who they were behind the scenes. And because of that, you thought, well, I need to be perfect as well. So you wore yourself out. You tired yourself out. It's exhausting. It's frustrating to think because you're never going to measure up. You will never do enough to be as perfect as the person that you think beside you is perfect. So it's exhausting. And Paul's saying, man, church, I want you to know I have, not, I have not arrived. And I want you to know that each one of you, you haven't either. And you're all a work in progress. You know, there's people not even that are not in the church today, or people that were once in the church that said bye-bye to the church, because when they peeked in, all they saw was so-called perfect people walking around. And they said, I, I, I can't measure up 
I can't measure up to that. When the truth is this, we're all fragile clay pots. We're broken. Uh, We're we're unholy before a holy God. And Paul says the only way that you can get in right standing uh, is through Jesus Christ. You're not going to get there on your own willpower or by doing all these so-called right, right things. So I love this with Paul. He says, I haven't, I haven't arrived. He's ministered for some, for some 30 years. And he, he lived his life at such a time when he pretended to be perfect by doing all, all the right things, right? But he lets the Philippian church know, and us, this is like a let us off the hook Sunday. You're not going to be on this earth. You're going to be a work in progress all the way until glorification, until you go meet your Savior in heaven. So much so for Paul on his journey. What was his journey? From his elementary years, even prior to that, he was persecuting the church. His elementary years, you know, many of you think Paul, once he came to Christ, Jesus is like, go get him. And that's not what happened if you read the book of Acts. Paul had a 14-year segment where he was kind of behind the scenes right after he came to Christ. And, and he had some training to do. He had some growing to do. He had some Pharisee, like he needed to relearn how, how to, to do life Jesus' way. And then finally, after 14 years, he and Barnabas started blazing trails together. He was in seasons where he had to grow, where he had to become more like Christ before God saw fit to use him for his purposes. The thing I love about this passage is it truly talks about the Christian life. And Paul says, you know what the Christian life is all about? It's about ongoing learning. It's about ongoing growing. It's about ongoing transformation. That as you look back maybe a month or a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, you should see spiritual progression in your life, maturity in your life. And this race that we're on, Paul's saying, oh, I haven't arrived there. But I tell you what, I'm not going to coast either. I'm going to keep chasing after the things of Christ until I hit the finish line. He goes on in the second half of Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, I haven't arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's what's Paul saying? He's saying, I used to live a life that was all about Paul. It was all about me doing the right thing. But now, because Christ transformed me, I belong to him. That's what he's saying in this passage. That I was literally, Philippian church, on a road of separation from our Father in heaven for all of eternity. But Jesus made the first move, right? And then he met me on the Damascus road. And my life is changed. It's changed forever. And I want everybody to know about this Savior that's changed my life. I want to live my life in such a way that's a living sacrifice. Philippian church, what did he say early in chapter 3? I want to know Christ. I want to know the mind of Christ. I want to know the heart of Christ. I want to understand who He is and what He's about. Oh, I'm not there yet. But you know what? I belong to Him because He grabbed hold of me. Some of you, that's your testimony. Some of us that are a little bit more hard-headed, He has to grab a hold of us for us to get it, right? And you can picture that moment in your life when, when our Father in Heaven, when Jesus grabbed a hold of your life and it was forever changed. And because of that, you would say your greatest heart's desire is to be a, an offering back to Him. A living sacrifice back to Him. Verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of, hold of it. Or I'm not going to make it on my own. It's not possible. But here's one thing I do. 
Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of, uh, of things. And if on at some point you think differently, that too, God will make it clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's saying, you know what a mature believer is? A mature believer is one that understands they have not arrived yet. They have some self-awareness when it comes to spirituality in their life. A mature believer is one that, that sees the magnitude of their sin, their brokenness before a holy God, and they want to repent of that, of that sin before a holy God because they know it is separating them. And Paul teaches this Philippian church, it's, about, it's truly about humbling yourselves before God. Verse 17, we're not going to touch on that a bunch today, but he goes on and says, hey, I want you to follow my example even in this area. Well, follow my example of what? I want you to follow my example of, of confessing and, and repenting of sin. I want you to follow my example of ongoing learning, of ongoing transformation, of ongoing staying locked in to your relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. I want you to, 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 to keep follow my example when it comes to growing and, and putting your full trust in God. That a mature believer in Christ realizes, man, this is, this is who I am before a holy God. And God, I lay down at your feet and I, I ask for forgiveness and I ask that you would you'd begin to change. You'd begin to change me. That maturity is about taking responsibility for our lives. Maturity is about taking responsibility for our actions. And Paul, he, he knew it. He knew it. He knew it. I'm not perfect yet. But he's saying, Philippian church, walk this life journey, walk this race that you're on with this attitude. If there's something I need to be taught, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to be taught. If there's something that I need to, to repent of, if there's some area that I need to, to, to ask for forgiveness in, God, and, and it's true and it's a real thing in my life, God, I want to repent. I want to bring it before a holy God and I want to make it right with you. Paul says, follow my example in this area. There's a flaw in my life. I want to make it right before God. And Paul knows, and he's letting the Philippian church know that, you know what? Real maturity is about someone seeking to be more like Jesus, not someone that thinks they already are Jesus. Paul was sick of that. He was sick of religion. He was sick of all the hoops that he had to run to and run through. And he said, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about Jesus alone. Paul gives us some examples in this uh, passage for, for how to grow in maturity. And he shares in verse, uh, I think it's verse 13 or 14, he says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That if we truly want to grow in maturity, we need to forget what's behind and strain towards what is ahead. Now here's how we misinterpret that passage. We say, well, I came to Christ. I've made a, a commitment to Christ, so I don't need to deal with anything from the past. I don't need to go back and ask for forgiveness or extend the forgiveness to somebody else. I don't need to heal from whatever that thing may be. Paul's not saying, hey, turn a blind eye to the past. But what is Paul saying? Could Paul talk about his past? Most certainly he did. He said, here's who I was. Verse In chapter 3, he said, I was broken. I mean, I, I just thought because I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin, and I thought because mom and dad were, were good little Jewish people, I thought because I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I thought because I was a Pharisee and I was persecuting the church that, that I was in, and he said it was all rubbish. Garbage before a holy God. 
And he says, here's my story, but let me highlight the one. Let me highlight the one in my story that changed my life. And he says, it's Jesus Christ. You know, if we were to pause today, um, it's easy for us to put a mask on. I do it. We all probably have done it at one time or another. But if we were to say, all right, church is done for today. I'm done preaching. We're not going to sing. We're just going to close this way. And we grabbed this mic and started running it around the room. And people started taking the mask off and truly sharing the brokenness, the loneliness, the pain, the relational dysfunction, the medical burdens, the hurt, the stuff in this room. I can guarantee you would walk out of this room absolutely over overwhelmed. So is Paul saying, hey, forget all that stuff. Leave it in the past. Throw it under the rug. It's not a big deal. And just move on. No, I don't think so at all. If you read the totality of Scripture, I think Paul would be very clear that, man, we need to, we need to heal from that. We need to grow from that. We need to take it through a process, a process of healing. That some of us, the first step we need to do with whatever that thing may be is Maybe you've never taken it to Christ, to take it to Christ. Maybe it's take it to another friend that, that you trust. It's a fellow Christian brother or sister. Maybe it shines a huge light on the idea of being in community with other people because the enemy, one of his number one old, old tricks that he loves to do is to isolate people, to isolate the Christ followers so that he can begin to own, begin to own them. Maybe it magnifies that, man, whatever it is, I need to pursue accountability, right? I need to pursue maybe professional counseling. And Paul says, on this race, it's not just forget, sweep it under the rug. It's, it's, it's deal with things. And Paul would say we need, to, we need to heal from things. So we need to forget in the sense that, man, we need, to, we need to work through them. How did Paul do just that? He shared a story. How do you know when you're getting to a place where you're beginning to heal from whatever that thing may be? How do you know when you're getting to a place where you truly can start forgetting your past? And I would argue this, that it's, you can talk about it. That it no, longer, it no longer haunts you. And I think all of us in here would say there's nothing greater than a story, than someone's story that says, hey, I was in this, I was in this addiction, I was in whatever it may be. Jesus radically changed my life. And now I am not only over that, but I am serving people and helping people that are in the exact same thing that I went through. That is how the local church is set up and supposed to work. And all over this room, there are untapped testimonies of stories that you went through, you and your spouse went through, you and your kids went through, something that happened, that now you've come out on the other side and our Father in Heaven would love and long for you to be willing to share that story because God will use pain. He's a pro at this. And He will use it to bless and heal other people. Let me flip it on its head. What if God took you through that so that you could be a blessing to other people and be willing to share that story with others? I can guarantee, we often think as we navigate through life, I have to be the only one that's ever dealt with this, right? And I can guarantee it's tenfold, not in this room, but in this community, that are dealing with the exact same, the exact same thing. That's restoration. That is, that is transformation. So Paul's not saying, forget it, no big deal. 
don't worry about it. He's saying, no, 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 let's, let's, let's heal. Let's heal from it. How do we know Paul was started to heal from it? Because he talked about it. He said, I was, I was a joke. I thought all these things were the things that were going to make me in right standing with God, and I found out it's none of them. You know, if there's even one in here today that's at a place where you've got something you need to heal from, there'd be no greater day than to draw a line in the sand and today and say today's it. To have a testimony in a week, a month, years down the road, to look back upon and say, you know what, I'm not that person anymore. I don't think like that. I don't act like that. I don't run to that. I chase after the Most High God. Our God in heaven loves those stories. He loves to transform lives. He loves to heal. He loves to fill people with joy. And that's why Paul, in the worst of the worst of circumstances, was filled with joy. We have a spiritual enemy that would love nothing more than to keep reminding you about whatever it is that wants to keep you chained to it. But we serve a God that's already sent His Son to set you free from it. Man, lean into that today. Remember that your God is is good. Remember that whatever that thing is that our God in heaven said, I'm going to send my Son to die on the cross and forgive that, whatever it is. And make it whole and make you whole and make you free and pure before a holy God. It's why we exist, church. We exist to get people in the race. We exist as a church to help people as they're in the race, right? And I think there's no greater responsibility than for those of you that have been following Christ for for years or for decades to, to come alongside those that aren't quite that far along and help them in their journey. That's what the Bible would explain discipleship to be all about. There's a greater responsibility the longer we travel with Jesus on this race to come back and help those that are a little bit further behind in the race. So the huge question we could ask today is, is are you in the race? Have you been justified? Have you experienced new life in Christ? If, if justification is the starting line and coming to faith in Christ, then the journey of this life has to be the sanctification process. Are you growing in Christ? Could you say, I'm becoming more like Jesus? He's changed my life. Will you be glorified? He talks about it at the end of chapter 3 that we're going to have these new bodies when when we get to heaven. The old will be gone and we will be the greatest part about it will not be the mansion you get or the cool new body. It'll be that you are with, with Christ. That's what Paul talks about. He goes on to wrap it up at the end of this section in, chapter, in verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As you read through Philippians, he, he almost writes this letter to them with a heavenly perspective. Because Paul knows that any day or any moment they could come and take him away and, and take his life. And in that moment, he knew life was so precious that it's here today and gone tomorrow. That's why he said in, in Philippians 1, verse 21, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. doesn't matter what happens to me. Either one is good because Christ is with me in both situations. And he says, I'm going to chase after this goal, and I'm going to live for this goal to which Christ has called me heavenward. And it's a reminder at the end of this little section to, for us, as, for the Philippians and us, to live with a heavenly perspective. Because when you do, it changes your priorities in life. When you live with a heavenly perspective, the things that you thought were so important, all of a sudden they're like, uh, with a heavenly perspective, they're not really that important. 
It changes the way we do relationships. It changes the way you handle your money. It changes every aspect of your life. And those things that we get so anxious about, so nervous about, that make us be fearful all throughout our day, that can begin to be put into perspective because we say, I'm living with an eternal perspective. And we ask the question, in light of eternity, is this thing that is just nagging at me going to matter a hill of beans when it comes to the things of eternity? Paul says, keep your eyes fixed on that. Keep your eyes fixed on living with an eternal eternal perspective. You know, a better translation after studying this week of, of uh, persevering and pressing on towards the goal, and some of your Bibles may str- say straining towards the goal, a better translation that the Philippian church would have understood is this. It's an unusual great effort towards the goal. So the question we ask ourselves is, in your walk with Christ today, are you, are, you, are you walking in such a way with an unusual great effort? We notice that on the sports field. You can see it at your work. You can see it in other arenas of life. And it's a big question for us. Are we going through the motions spiritually? Or as Paul is cheering this church on to do, are you walking with Christ with an unusual great effort? That was a tough one when I learned about it this week and just trying to understand, am I chasing after God with an unusual great effort? Paul knew for this Philippian church as they ran this race, he knew for the church in 2018 that probably wouldn't be a whole lot different because it's made up of people, that on this race, on this journey, we would get distracted so easy. And he says, so I want you to keep in mind heaven. I want you to run this race with an unusual great effort because without that, uh, you'll find yourselves just creating these many idols in your life. And when you find yourself in those seasons that are tough, you'll run to those. Christ will still be over here doing his thing, but you'll run to those things for your sustenance. And Paul says, church, I was there. I did this. If there's anybody that was the king of works, the king of saying, I'm doing all the right things. It was me, Paul. But church, I encourage you to run the race with an unusual great effort. In 2008, I made one of my biggest mistakes in my life and ran in the Indy Mini Marathon. Anybody else ran in a marathon? Yeah. The whole idea was awesome before we did it. I mean, leading up to it. And uh, I'll tell you one thing not to do is don't only get up to like three or four miles for your maximum training before running 13.1. But I ran with one of my good friends, Ryan Jones, from college, and both of us were football players. We were not not runners, not distance runners for sure. And uh, we decided, well, we're going to run this race. And this passage and that race, the similarities are like, they're perfect. That's why Paul used the analogy. Because when the race started, I came out of the gates all smiles, hat on, feeling pretty good, running, just keeping up with everybody for probably the first four miles. I don't think I've ever run four miles in my life until that first four miles. Felt good, legs felt good, uh, and, and, and people you know, around my age are all with me. The, the middle of the race begins to happen, and people double my age are passing me. My legs are jello. I'm questioning life, questioning this whole thing of why I'm in it, you know. And then finally we got, you go at one of the last legs as you run around the Indianapolis 500, and then you, which is two miles, and it feels 
way longer than two miles as you're running around that thing. And then you get to the place where you finally see this huge finish line uh, in downtown Indianapolis, music playing, the crowds cheering like you're awesome that you just ran 13.1 miles. You can't even feel your legs. They're numb. The next day I preached on a stool because I couldn't stand up uh, at my home church back then. And finally we got to the, to the end of the race, and it was, it was the greatest feeling that we had actually accomplished it. And it was almost like a slice of heaven because when you ran through, there was tables with like fruit and food. So when you ran through the end of the line, it was like, give it all to me. I want to eat it all, right? That was a piece of heaven. You know, spiritually speaking, there's not, there's not a lot of difference. Sometimes in our elementary years, we come out of the gates. We're ready to, to shout from the mountaintop that Jesus is good. We hit our middle school years, and some of those days can be trying and tough. We may even question our faith. We may question our walk with Christ, and we begin to question ourselves. And finally, if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and He sees us through some various seasons in life, we start to see some maturity take place, and man, um, it's, it's a great feeling. Spiritually speaking today, I thought of that finish line um, at the Indianapolis 500, coming around and seeing all those people. And I have to think, as Paul is writing this letter to the group of people, uh, maybe the ones that you love the most that have gone before you. I think of my four grandparents that have all gone before me. Think of, of Nat's dad. And you think of Jesus at the finish line. And here we are coming running around and we see them. And they say, keep going. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep fighting. Some of you are in a place where you're ready to give up. And they would say don't. Because the prize is so good. When you're with Christ, your life will be changed forever. So today, the, the testimony for us is, you think of your loved one with Jesus. It's already arrived. Glorification has happened for them. They would say never give up. Listen to Paul's advice. And you will experience a reward like you've never experienced before. Paul says, I press on toward the goal. My eyes are fixed on Christ. I want to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, it's hard to wrap our head around the finish line. Because we like to think of the finish line being way out there. Oh, it's, it's not coming my way for a long time. But the truth is, just as Paul was experiencing the, the fragileness of life, it's true for us. We don't know when that day is going to be when you call us heavenward. Uh, we don't know when that day when we're rounding the final lap and we see Jesus and our loved ones at the finish line saying, don't give up, persevere, keep fighting, it's worth it. But that day will inevitably come for all of us. But God, we're still here. So to live is Christ. God, help us to live with internal perspective. Help us to run this race in such a way that we know we have not arrived yet. And God, help us to trust you every step of the way. Thank you for being ever close on the journey. Thank you for saying, 
not saying, well, go figure it out. You said, no, no, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is walking with us, residing in us every single day. What a gift. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.